Are you ready to vibe? You're listening to Creepy Vibes Only. Hello, my little chicken nuggets. Welcome to Creepy Vibes Only, your podcast for all things creepy, where we dive into spooky, paranormal, supernatural, or true crime stories from around the world. I'm your host, Steph, and thank you for listening to this episode. Now, before I get started with our story of the episode, I am going to give a trigger warning ahead of time. During the story, there is going to be some description of violence, some of which involving children. So if we get to a part that you don't like, just keep fast forwarding or hitting that 15 second fast forward, I don't know, button uh, up until you get to a part that you like. But that is all I'm going to say beforehand. Uh, that is all I have to say in terms of updates. So with all of that, let's just jump right into our story. This is a story of Hinter Kaifek Farm. The Hinter Kaifek family farmhouse was built in 1863. The farmstead was located in a solitary wooded area behind the town of Kaifek and near the town of Grober, Bavaria, which is about an hour north of Munich. Although a functionally family farm, the farmstead was demolished between 1922 and 1923. It was demolished as the last family to live in the farmstead, was brutally murdered in what is now known as Germany's most cold-blooded unsolved murders. Let's go back to the beginning. Victoria Gabrielle, who was 35, called the farmhouse home with her two young children, Kazilia Jr., who was seven, and Joseph, who was two. Victoria's parents, Andreas and Kazilia Sr. Gruber, who were 64 and 73 respectively, also live at the farm. The family kept mostly to themselves, but were well-liked by their neighbors. They were active members of the local church, and Victoria was a member of the choir. On March 31st, 1922, Maria Baumgartner, who was 43, was dropped off at the farm by her sister. This would be her first day working as a live-in maid to take care of Kazilia Jr. and Joseph. Maria's sister did not realize that that day would be the last day she would see her sister or the Gruber family alive. Neighbors were concerned when the family did not join church service that weekend. Their concerns grew to worry when Kazilia Jr. did not show up to school. A local mechanic who had been hired by Andreas earlier in the month found it strange that when he knocked on the door multiple times, no one ever answered but he could see smoke coming out of the chimney and the front gate was unlocked. A pair of traveling merchants tried to make contact with a family at the farm, but their knocks were also met with silence. They went around the farm and not a soul could be found. Despite seeing through the kitchen window, the glowing oven, and seeing smoke escaping from the chimney. And to add to the mysterious disappearance of the family, while people tried to make contact with them, they didn't notice that the animals were fed and taken care of. Finally, on April 4, 1922, Lawrence Schlinbauer, a neighboring farmer, sent his two boys to try to contact the family. When they returned, they informed Lawrence that no one had answered their calls. Lawrence then organized a search party with two other neighbors to search the farmstead. The search party would soon grow to regret going looking for the missing family. The men tried entering the farmhouse, but all of the doors were locked, so they went to the barn as Andreas had previously informed his neighbors that he kept spare keys in the barn for emergency. When they entered the barn, they were horrified to see the brutally battered bodies of Andreas, Victoria, Kazilia Jr., and Kazilia Sr. stacked onto each other and covered with hay. 
Their horror was soon overshadowed with worry and horror when they noticed that baby Joseph and the new maid Maria were not in the barn. Hoping for survivors, some searched the grounds, while others went to search the main house. Sadly, they did not find what they were hoping for. Baby Joseph was found dead in his crib, and Maria's corpse was found in her bedchambers. The search party quickly alerted the other neighbors, and the news of the murders quickly spread through the town. Back in that time, it was typical for people to come running at a murder scene to see what had happened. Thus, the people came to the farm. They trampled through the murder scenes, manipulated bodies. Eventually, the authorities were alerted, but they were in Munich, which was an hour away. By the time lead inspector George Schwangruber and his team arrived on site, the crime scene was completely contaminated. The first order of business was to remove everyone from the farm that had no business being there and then to start the investigation. These were their initial findings. The main house was locked up, indicating that whoever had left had a set of keys. They suspected the murderer to have lived in the house after the murders for a few days, since bread and meat was found cut up in the pantry. Evidence of meals being eaten and used silverware were found in the kitchen. The farm animals were alive and healthy, and their food was restocked. There's evidence of a newly burnt fire in the fireplace and witnesses had seen smoke coming from the chimney days after the murders. The investigators found it interesting that no matter where the bodies had been found, they were covered up. The bodies in the barn were covered with hay, Maria was covered in her bed sheets, and Joseph was covered by one of his mother's dress. Inspector Rangruber believed that whoever had committed these murders had to be familiar with the farm to pull this off. Such violence should have caused a scene and notified the neighbors. The police believed that this was the order of the event of the fateful night. The members of the family that were found in the barn were brought there one by one. This meant that the murderer had full control of that person. Once arriving at the barn, they were immediately attacked and left there to die. Once Andreas, Victoria, Casilia Sr., and Casilia Jr. were murdered, the murderer moved onto the house where he killed Joseph and Maria in a similar fashion. The killer then took shelter in the house for a few days until they decided it was time to move on. On April 5, 1922, Dr. Johann Baptist Umaler conducted the autopsies. These are his findings. All family members had died from blunt force trauma to the head. Dr. Unmaler determined that a matic was more than likely the murder weapon. Casilla Sr., Andreas, and Victoria had all instantly died from the injuries. Unfortunately, that was not the case for Casilla Jr. She had multiple bald patches around her head, which meant that she did not instantly die of her injuries. In his report, Dr. Umaler said that the bald patches were caused by Casilia Jr. pulling out her hair in fear and shock as she laid in the barn, eventually succumbing to her injuries. The victim's skulls were removed and sent to a lab in Munich for further examination. The entire community was shaken by the gruesome murders that happened in their little sleepy town. No one knew who could have done this and if someone in their small community would be capable of such violence. So naturally, the police believed that the murder was someone passing through town. The police believed that the murder could have been looking for shelter and money. Surprised by the family's presence, the murderer killed them. The police immediately tracked down the vagrants and traveling merchants that were in the area, as they were the main suspects at this time. They questioned multiple people, but no one could have been tied to the murders. The police also found evidence contradicting this theory. First, it didn't look like someone had broken in or forced their way into the house. Second, the house was in good condition. It was not ransacked or searched by someone not trying to cover up their tracks. And third, the police found large sums of money and multiple valuables around the house. It no longer seemed like this was a robbery gone wrong. Plus, when you look at the brutality of the murders and the methodical order of them, it becomes clear that the murderer came in with a plan and was tied emotionally to these victims. The police then decided to look further into the Gruber family's life. And things got a little strange at this point. They first talked with the family's previous live-in maid for more information on family. 
She had just quit, but had worked for the family for years, so she knew them best. When asked why she decided to leave the family, she said it was because she no longer felt safe in the house as she believed it was haunted. At night, they would hear footsteps and furniture being dragged around in the attic. She claimed that whenever she was alone in a room, mainly at night, she would always feel like someone was watching. The activity had only started a few weeks before the murders. It scared her so much that she had to leave. She also talked about weird things happening at the farmstead. One morning, the family woke up to see a trail of footprints in the fresh snow, leading from the forest to the house. But no footprints leaving the house. No one in the family was responsible for the footprints. And no one was at the farm that shouldn't have been there. Another day, Andreas found a newspaper in his home. The newspaper was not Andrea's usual paper. No one in the home had bought or knew of a visitor that had left it at the farm. Additionally, several house keys kept disappearing. The man had shared beliefs about the house to Andreas, but he dismissed them. He did, however, share with his neighbor Lawrence that weird things were happening in the farmhouse. Lawrence offered him a gun for protection, but Andreas refused it, chuckling that there must be a reason and it was all so silly. But now leaves the wonder. Was someone watching the house stalking the family for weeks and days? Was the murderer hiding in the house waiting for the perfect opportunity to strike? The previous maid, who wished to be unnamed, was relieved that she may have escaped the brutal attack that may have cost her her life. But she was also struck with survivor's guilt that she was not there to protect the children, that she stayed and Maria would have not been murdered. Although the strange happenings were interesting to the police, they did not really point to someone or something concrete. So they decided to look into the people and the deceased lives. Multiple people were considered suspects. Lauren Schlambauer, the neighbor who led the search party, was one of the police's first suspects. People in the search party at the farm after the news broke mentioned to police that he was acting strange. Seeing the bodies did not affect him. He was unfazed throughout the whole search. When manipulating the bodies, he didn't seem disgusted or repulsed by it. It was even thought strange that he knew the farm's layout and hideaways so well. Additionally, Lawrence and Victoria were rumored to have been in a relationship after her husband had died in the war. Victoria and Lawrence both claimed that he was baby Joseph's father. They were supposed to get married, but Andreas interfered and the relationship soon ended. It was believed that Lawrence never got over Victoria, even if he had married someone else. It was rumored that Victoria or Andreas had asked him to pay child support for Joseph shortly after his own baby sadly passed away. So one night in a rage, he went to the firm to murder them all. After rigorous interrogations, Lawrence was eliminated as a suspect. He couldn't be placed at the firm during the murders. His knowledge of the firm could be explained by his relationship with Victoria. And his behavior upon discovering the bodies could be explained to shock. The police then moved on to a new suspect, Carl Gabriel. Carl was Victoria's husband, assumed to have died in the war. A theory came out that Carl did not die in combat and had finally made his way home in 1922, but he murdered everyone in the firm when he saw that Victoria had a new child. Although a stretch, it wasn't impossible. So the police looked into it, but they found evidence that Carl had indeed been killed 10 years earlier in France and had witnessed statements of fellow soldiers attesting that Carl had passed away. The police questioned almost everyone, but one strange fact in this case is that the mechanic who had visited the farm during the murder's time frame wasn't questioned until 11 years after the murders. The police never explained why it took so long, but the man was eventually cleared. Another darker theory came out during the investigation. The Gruber family had a dark past. Andreas was known to being physically abusive. In fact, he and Kazilia Sr. had multiple children, 
but only Victoria survived his abuse, making it to adulthood. Even worse, in 1915, Andreas and Victoria were charged for having an incestuous relationship. Victoria spent one month in prison, and Andreas spent a year. However, it was rumored that the incestuous relationship did not stop after their convictions. People believed that young Joseph was Andrea's son and not Lawrence. Briefly, the police considered that the murders could have in fact been a murder-suicide by Andreas or Victoria. But that fear was quickly dismissed by the evidence. None of the injuries inflicted on Andreas or Victoria could have been self-made. One thing was clear. Someone else had murdered the entire family. That someone knew the farm pretty well. Despite the police's best efforts, the case went cold. But it would be reopened throughout the years. In total, the police interrogated over a hundred suspects, but still not finding the right culprit. One woman on her deathbed claimed that her brothers had committed the murders. One of the brothers was already tied to another murder. One of the brothers was already tied to another murder. But when police went to interrogate him, he had already passed away. So the police interrogated the last living brother, but he was soon released as there was no evidence tying him or his brother to the scene. In 2007, the first in Philbrook Police Academy took over the cold case. Due to the forensic techniques of the day and the stored evidence, they were not able to definitely identify the suspect. Additionally, the fact that the people involved and were interrogated had passed away since then made it even harder for the team to investigate the case. But, they made a statement that they did come up with a suspect in a theory that is more than likely to be the key to the crime. However, they will not reveal their theory. However, they will not reveal their theory or release the name of their suspect out of respect for the surviving family of their suspect. And that is the sad story of the Hinter Kaifek murders. Well, my little chicken nuggets, that is all for me today. I hope that you've enjoyed this story. Although super sad, it is still a very interesting and a creepy one. Yeah, that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I will be back with another episode in two weeks. So I will see you all very, very soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Creepy Vibes Only. If you want more content, please go follow the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook accounts at Creepy Vibes Only. You can send me an email at cvopodcast at gmail.com for creepy read submissions, story suggestions, or just to say hi. Remember to subscribe, download the episodes, and please leave an ideally positive review. Thank you for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye!